So, Parshat Vayela. One of the questions that has come up again, but it becomes very prominent during times like this, is how much should we pay attention to what the world does and says? Right? Some of you may uh, have noticed or noted that the beginning of the Aza incursion you'll notice by the way I'm not calling it an invasion because an invasion is when you invade when you enter someone else's territory I think I don't think Aza belongs to someone else but we could debate that um, that it should have uh, started earlier and that there was pressure from America by the way possibly for valid reasons they wanted to protect their troops and um, so Israel acquiesced. But when the, when the invasion actually was going to happen, the incursion was going to happen on Friday night, the Americans again asked for it to occur on Matzi Shabbos. And this time Israel said no. Anybody know why they said no? Very interesting. Because the clocks changed on Matzi Shabbos in Israel. And they were afraid that with the clock changes, it might undermine some of the operations. Is it this hour? Is it that hour? Shachin, when you start an operation, is pretty important that different cohort, different forces coordinate at the same time. So they said no. And there were apparently some people that were upset about that. You know? How important is it to pay attention to what the world says? Right? The Security Council. The Security Council uh, wanted to uh, uh, offer up a resolution, you know, sort of condemning Hamas. And China and, 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 and Russia vetoed it. And then they wanted to create uh, you know, something that would, den- that would denounce Hamas but speak for the Palestinians. And uh, that got vetoed. So they passed it instead in the General Assembly, which doesn't really carry legal weight. And in the General Assembly, the United Nations voted to call for a ceasefire. Guys, guys, shh. Guys called for a ceasefire, right? The UN called for a ceasefire and did not denounce Hamas. We're not going to talk about the fact that they raped women, murdered babies, burned people alive. We just want that the civilians in Gaza should be safe. And when you read something like that, it could get you mad. And there are two approaches. You know, one approach says... It bothers us that the world doesn't do the right thing and we want the world to do the right thing and it's important to us what the world says. The other approach is, I could care less what the world says. You know, Ben-Gurion is famous. They wanted to know, you know, the Hebrew, um, the Hebrew for the United Nations is the UM. I'm not sure what that stands for. Ugdat uh, or Umot Meuchadot, I think, right? United Nations. Um, and they were speaking to Ben-Gurion about, you know, what they were planning on doing in certain circumstances, I think in the Straits of Tehran with the 56 war, and they said, what will the um say? And he said, um shmum. And it became a famous line, like, mamash lochpatli. And Ben-Gurion was famous for saying, I don't care what the nations of the world say, I care what the Jews do. How far do you go with that? How far do you go with that? You know, the end of this year, we'll talk a little about what's going on, but there seem to be certain things that would make sense. And the reason that we don't do it, there are two possibilities why we don't do them. One is because not everybody agrees with it. Maybe it doesn't make sense to everybody. Okay. 
could agree or disagree. But sometimes you know that everybody uh, understands what you should do. But what will people say? What will the world do? Will we lose support? And so on and so forth. How important is that? How important is that? Do you know before the declaration, people don't know this. Do you know which country was the first to recognize the state of Israel? In 1948. The first country, nope, the first country to recognize the state of Israel in 1948 was the United States of America. Harry Truman, okay, officially recognized the state of Israel as a state among the nations. Ten minutes after they declared the state of Israel in Tel Aviv in the, it, what's known today as Independence Hall. And that's, that's incredible. And that's a bracha. And, you know, we're grateful to America for doing that because they led what became a cascade of nations recognizing the state of Israel. What people don't know, and there's a, 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 an important Jewish story behind that, a friend that was a business partner, but that's not for now. What people don't know is that uh, Truman... Not long before the Declaration of the State of Israel, um, I believe it was two days before, but I could be wrong. You can look this up. Actually sent a message to David Ben-Gurion telling him not to declare a state because they didn't want to antagonize the Arab world and they were looking for a way to negotiate sort of a settlement and the Arab world was not accepting the partition plan. Don't declare the state yet. Let's see what we can do. And Ben-Gurion said, we have a window of opportunity if we pass this window of opportunity, Jewish history will never forgive us. And what he basically said was, Um Shmum, when do you say that? And when do you not say that? Now, why do I bring up this topic? Because this week's Parsha affords us a fascinating opportunity to open up this topic. Okay, we are in Parsha Vayera. And Vayera is famous because it begins with no less than a Kadosh Baruch Hu himself visiting Avram. Right? Kadosh Baruch Hu visits Avram Avinu. Avram is on the third day after his <laughs> Brit Milah, after his circumcision. He's a 99-year-old fellow who just circumcised himself. And there was no anesthesia in those days, although there may have been in the plant world. Uh, but there certainly wasn't an operating theater. 99 years old. This is the third day after the operation. Th- three days after the operation is the most difficult day after an operation, according to Allah. You, you don't generally visit a person who's sick on the third day after their operation, unless you're very close with them. You know, speaking as someone who has been in the hospital once, I remember after a car accident, I remember, that's a good story, I remember what it's like to be lying there when people come to visit, and you want to be polite, but you're in a hospital bed, your spleen is ruptured, you know, you got stitches, your tongue was ripped open, you can't talk, you feel terrible, you don't want to make conversation with someone. You want the people to come, who by definition, you don't have to make conversation with that's Allah. This is the third day. And who comes to visit Avivir? No less than a Kosh Okay. And that's a whole story for another time. But there's a detail in this story that is worth noting. The Pasuk says, Okay. Right? The, the Hashem appears to him in Elonei Mamre, in the Oaks of Mamre. That's the name of the place. And he's sitting in front of the tent in the heat of the day. Now, most people focus on the second half of this Pasuk. Or on the first half of this Pasuk. First half being that Hashem comes to visit Avram Avinu. Which is incredible, because Avram then, without so much as a buy or leave, gets up and goes running after three angels who may be idolaters. That's an interesting discussion. And some people talk about the end of the Pasuk, 
that he's sitting in the heat of the day, this is the only place in the entire Torah where it mentions the weather. And I think a few of us spoke about this. You do not find this anywhere else in the Torah. It doesn't say, and Moses went up on Sinai, there were clear skies, showers expected in the afternoon. You don't find that. What is the weather? And Chazal, when they see, when Chazal see that, that the Torah tells us that it's hot, ah, the Medrash goes crazy. It was so hot, trees were exploding, mountains were on fire, right? Hottest day in history. Anavim Avinu, 99-year-old man, third day after his circumcision, goes running in the heat. That's a discussion about <clears throat> Avram's desire to do chesed. Okay. But there's a detail in the middle of this pasuk that people don't notice. And that is that the Torah takes the time to tell me where he's sitting. Where is he sitting? In Elone Mamre. And Rashi notes this and quotes the Medrash. Right? It's the Medrash and Medrash Rabbi. Mamre was a fellow who gave Avram advice regarding the Brismila. And therefore, Hashem was revealed to him in his portion. The Torah takes the time to tell me that this story happened by the oaks of Mamre. Because Mamre gave Avram good advice, and therefore, in order to recognize that, the Torah says, you know, right, this was the place of Mamre. Now, this is difficult on a number of levels, but before we talk about what the difficulty is, we have to understand the story. So the Medrash Tanchuma explains exactly what happened here. Avram is given a command by Hashem to circumcise himself, right? That's in the end of last week's parsha. If you look in the Pesukim, right? Um, Vayikach Avram et Yishmael beno vet kol yidei beito vayamal et pesar olatam and he circumcises everybody they all get circumcised kasher dibera Torah lokim because Hashem says you have to get a mila okay this is the medrash. Avram went to get advice from three individuals. Anybody know who the three individuals were? Aner. Anybody know? No? Eshkol and Mamre. This is in the Medrash. These were three friends of Avram, giants of philosophy, idolaters, right? Because there was no one who wasn't an idolater except for Malkitzet. And he goes to get their advice. And Aner says he shouldn't do it. And Eshkol says he shouldn't do it. Right? They give him two reasons. Anybody want to guess why you would tell a 99-year-old man not to get a circumcision? Anybody? No. Pardon? No. Yeah, because it's dangerous for you. Like you're out of your mind. What were you doing this for? What's the second reason that you shouldn't get a circumcision? <coughs> Think what Avram did in last week's portion. Anybody? Strategically, right? He just fought a world war. He just defeated the four kings. He's got a lot of enemies. If they see he gets a circumcision, he'll be sick. His enemies will be able to overcome him. And Mamre finally says, listen, 
Hashem has protected you when you were in Egypt, when you were in Grar, from famine, from enemies. You just fought a world war. If Hashem wanted you to leave this world, if your God wanted you to suffer, you'd be God. Clearly, you're protected. Don't worry about it. And Abraham says, okay, great. And he gets a circumcision. So in the merit of that advice, that sort of go get him advice that Mamre gives him, in the Torah it says that this story that we're now is now unfolding here, Chesed, Mila, etc., it happens in the oaks of Mamre. Somebody asked me an obvious question. Obvious question. Yeah. Why is Amram getting advice from, from, from idolaters? Why do I need advice from God? If Hashem tells me to do it, I'll do it. That's number one. Number two, why is the reward? Let's say for a moment that he asks advice and Mamre gives him good advice. And so Hashem wants to reward him. That's how you reward him. Washington slept here. Like, you'll get to have the bris in your field. Thank you very much. Give me some wealth. Give me some progeny. Why is that uh, a reward? Right? What exactly is going on here? Okay? It's in your neighborhood. So, there is a fascinating comment by the Siftei Chacham. Siftei Chacham of Shabtai Bass, very important uh, commentary on Rashi. Um, if you look at the Makros Kedolos, it usually appears. Um, the way to find Siftei Chachamim, a lot of noise, what's all the noise? Okay, the Siftei Chachamim is that in the Rashi, you will sometimes see a little letter, like a Ba'ala from Ezer or Gimel, sort of bold. And in the Siftei Chachamim, that'll tell you sort of where it is. And there are Mada'i versions, which are better printed and, and whiter, but I have an old one. So what does the Siftei Chachamim say? Right? The Siftei Chachamim says as follows. Okay? Near the Rashi, a no metarates, right? One of the interesting questions is, why, 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 why does the Medrash talk about this? Like, okay, so the Torah is giving me a geographic location. It does that in plenty of cases. Why do we have to assume it's this whole involved story? So the reason for that is actually pretty simple. It's because if you look back in Perakidalad in Lechacha, it says, Vayaged Lavram Ivory. This was, right, that same Pasuk I quoted in last week's Pasha. When this refugee who we ascribe to being Og Malchabashan, right? He was living in Elonay Mamre. So I already know he's in Elonay Mamre. If, even if the Torah wanted me to know for some reason geographically he's in Elonay Mamre, we already know that. Presumably that's where he was when he went to war. That's where he came back to when he was done. Torah doesn't say he went anywhere else. So why does the Torah have to repeat that? Okay. Then Roshatai Bas goes on, right? He says, but this is very difficult. Why should Avram Avinu get advice on whether to do a mitzvah? He's a tzaddik. You're the prime minister of Israel. You've been attacked. They've murdered our citizens. Why do you need advice from anybody? Get the army together and go shecht those people responsible. And then we'll talk about what to do next. Right? And if Bibi Netanyahu understands that, and Benny Gantz understands that, and everybody in the government understands that, why would none of them understand that? He stood up to ten tests. He's not going to stand up to this one. The Haraim, the Mizrahi, right? Mefaresh, Ravelez Mizrahi, 
דוודאי גם בלאו החינמי היה מקיים מצווה מילה, שהיא מצווה ורו. אבן פשור would have done the מילה. השם tells you to do the מילה. You do what Hashem says, no matter what. How do I know, with the benefit of hindsight, that if Hashem asks Avon to do something, he's going to do it? Because he was willing to offer a Yitzchak. If he's willing to offer a Yitzchak, he's willing to circumcise himself. Right? So, 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 so what's going on here? Ella, so now we're going to give three answers. The Sifti Chachamim brings three answers. And there are different places you can find these different answers. I'm quoting it to you from the Sifti Chachamim. So if somebody over Shabbos wants to look this up, read it, and think about it, you'll have one place you can look. It's easy to find. Ella de Bishil Zen Natal Eitzah. Lifisha Eshkol Aneru Mamrei. Hayu Balei Brit Avram. These were allies of Avram. Right? And, you know, they were with him. Perhaps they fought with him. So it appeared that they loved him. But, So they really love him? Now, what does that mean, do they really love him? Right? What is Ava? Love is all about giving. So if you really appreciate someone, What does it mean that you give to them? It means that what's important to them becomes important to you. Okay? If, if my wife was into, I don't know, yoga. And I don't get yoga. I don't, I'm not a yoga guy. Right? But if my wife was into yoga, then I would want to give her yoga because it would make her happy. Right? That's just what you would do. So, if, if, if you're a, a real friend of Avraham, And you know that what's meaningful to Avram is to do what Hashem asks. Then what are you going to tell him when he says, should I do what Hashem asks? You're going to say, that's what makes you happy. You know? That's what rocks your boat. Go for it. Okay? This is the first answer of the rain. Right? 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 They would tell him that you should circumcise. And obviously they love him. Now, by the way, Why would an idolater not want Avram, their ally, to circumcise himself? What do you care? Yeah? They want to see him fail. Pardon? They want to see him fail. Okay, maybe you want to see him fail. It's one possibility. Yeah? They don't believe in his beliefs, right? Okay. What happens when a Jew circumcises himself? What does that mean? And this is not a Shira Mila, but yeah? You become other. We don't want people, we want people to do what we want. You know, something I learned, very interesting, and we're the same way. I don't judge anybody for doing this. We as parents want our kids to be like us. We don't want them to be less religious than us, and we don't want them to be more religious than us. We don't want them to be different. Different is difficult. But if you really love someone, you respect their differences. That's the dignity of dissent. Sachs talks about that. The world has a hard time with us because we're different. And they don't like us to be different. You know? If you're a mamzer, you want everybody else to be a mamzer. Then you don't feel guilty. So if I really love you, I'm okay with you doing what is different and having a different belief system. Right? Okay. That's one possibility. Avram wasn't depending his his decision to do Mila on, 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 on these three individuals. He 
he was using the mitzvah of Mila to find out who they really are. So, you know, you study on a campus at Cornell or Stanford or Harvard or Penn or University of Virginia. And you think you're in a cultured place. And they're all, we're all with us together. We're all students together. And then you get a chance to see who really loves me. Who are the people who will be there when they have to dare to be different in order to do it? That's one possibility. Okay. There is a second possibility, right? The Ojeish Omar, there's another way to look at this. Then the Sifte Chamin brings a second possibility. He says, no, 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 you understand. He says, this wasn't about figuring something out. Avram knew exactly what was going to happen. Avram says, I'm going to get their advice because they're going to tell me not to do it. Because of course they're going to tell you not to do it. What kind of a nutcase? Right? Remember, from their perspective, they don't have nevuah. They don't know that Hashem exists. They're idolaters. They think this guy is walking around talking to himself and there's some force that's running the world. That's ridiculous. The force is right here in my drawer. It's made of wood and I can bow down to it and I can take it with me whenever I go. You got this unseen God. You're nuts. So of course they're going to say to me not to do Mila. And then the fact that I do it anyway will demonstrate that I'm willing to be different and I'm doing this to Shem Shammai. Okay. Right? That's the second possibility. And if you do something, even though the whole world is telling you not to do it, that's a much more valuable act. Right? If I wear my kippah, when I'm going to show Shabbos morning in a frat, it's not a big deal. But if I wear my kippah in Concordia University, or when I'm walking around Paris, that's a much bigger deal. And I'm not debating for the moment. Personally, by the way, if I, I, I don't really have a reason to go to Paris, but if I was in Paris, and I was walking around in Paris as a tourist, I don't think I'd wear my keep out. That's not where my battle is. I don't need to prove that Jews stand up to anti-Semites. And we can talk about that also in the Q&A later, right? Okay. And then there's a third answer. The od yesh He wants to know, should he circumcise himself privately or publicly? Right? Maybe if he's doing the Mila publicly and people will know about it, they'll stop him from doing it. They'll understand that when he does this, he's, 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 he's entering into a covenant with Hashem. And the enemies don't want him to do that because, you know, you and I know that our secret powers are relationship with Hashem. So they don't want that. Right? So maybe he should do it privately. And Mamreis is the only one who says, no, you can do this publicly. No one will be able to stop you because your God protects you. Okay? Mamre believed that Avram should be willing to take a public stand for his belief. And Mamre said, you don't need to worry about your enemies. You don't need to worry what the world says. You need to do what you need to do. And why then do we say that Avram, that, that, the, that, that the bris happens in the place of Mamre? Because in the place, in the environment, 
where a person can stand up for what he believes in, that's where Judaism flourishes. That's our purpose. That's what we're meant to be doing. And I'll give you a great example of this. This is what we're going to get to later in the year, but it just so fits here. If you look in Hilchodeot, okay, the laws of character development that we've started to learn. In Perak Vav, okay? We're not going to get to Perak Vav, so Kaitzman, Perak Vav is my favorite Perak of Rambam. It's my favorite Perak of the Rambam, in all of the Rambam. It's an unbelievable Perak. But I'll show you just one piece of it, because I can't resist. Derech Briyato Shal Adam. It is the nature of human beings. To be drawn and attracted to and influenced by the behavior of his peers, those around him. And you, you practice what the people in your locale do. Right? If, you're, if you live in Italy, you eat pizza. And if you live in France, you eat croissants. If you live in France... You like soccer, right? Never, right? <laughs> and if you live in America, you like football, right? And those are two completely different sports. They just sound the same. But okay. One of them has big guys killing each other like behemoths. And the other has little guys in funny looking shorts running after a ball, finally getting it and kicking away. Neither of them makes sense. But okay, right? All right. Lefichach. Now listen to this. You have to sit with healthy people, balanced people, righteous people. Listen to this. This is unbelievable. Okay? And you have to distance yourself from the wicked. You cannot live with people who are evil. If people are evil, you need to distance yourself. And he goes further. You have to distance yourself from evil because if you don't, you will be affected by them. You will learn from them. Is there such a thing? This is a dangerous thing to say. Is there such a thing as a civilian in Aslan? I don't know. But it's important to know that I don't know. If you're 30 years old, and from the time you were 3 years old, You've been brought up in schools on hate. You've been taught that, I don't know, Israeli soldiers rape and kill and pillage and loot, that we're genocidal, that we're an apartheid state, and all this other nonsense that you find on campuses. And then when you finish school, you go to high school, and then they tell you to do a term paper on why the Holocaust never happened. And then you go to college, and they teach you how to make bombs, because that's why you go to engineering school. Or you study literature and you read poetry about how, you know, every Jew should be dead and so on and so forth. If that's where you live, that's what you'll learn. If you live in Nazi Germany, and you grow up in Nazi Germany, and when you're 12, they force you to go to the Hitler Youth, and when you're 16, they force you to join the army, when you're 19, they tell you you have to be a barbarian, then that's what you become. And if you live with those people then you are impacted by that. What should a person do? If a person lives in a place that has evil, bad customs, right? <coughs> People do not follow the straight path, the path of balance, of healthy ethics. <coughs> you should go to a place where the people are righteous, 
ונוהגים בדרך טובים, and practice balance. ואם היו כל המדינות שהוא יודן ושומע שמועתן, נוהגים בדרך לא טובה כמו זמננו, או שאינו יכול ללכת למדינה שמנהגותיה טובים מפני הגייסות, מפני החולי, ישב לבדו יחידי. כעניין שנאמר ישב בלדת וידום. If you live in a society that doesn't respect law, that doesn't respect ethics, then you need to leave. And if you can't leave because the armies or disease are preventing you from leaving, which I never really understood until, until the pandemic, in the times of COVID, we saw people were stuck in areas and they couldn't get out. Now, if you were a Jew in 1933, when Hitler came to power, and you understood this Rambam, forget about whether you saw what was coming, you would leave. Because you cannot live in a society that doesn't respect law. You can't do it. And you can't create a society that doesn't respect law. And you can't build a society with people that don't respect law. And I'll tell you something about what's going on in Aza. Here's a theory. Um, not going to enhance this because we're being recorded, but this is a theory. And I've been speaking to different people in very sensitive areas and in, 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 in sensitive places. So this is my sense, and I could be wrong. What if the Israeli army has finally figured out that the Rambam was right? That sometimes you just can't live with people. You know, how does it work in America? If you go to America, and you're from Canada, by the way. Any Canadians here? Who's our Canadians here? Okay. So if you're from Canada, the Kimmel Red, and you want to go and work in America. And by the way, if you're an American, right, one of the most difficult uh, uh, processes to enter a country is when you go to Canada. I made the mistake the first time I went to Canada. I was invited to speak, and I get to the airport, and you know they're going through passport control. And they say, are you here for business or pleasure? And I said, business. They said, really, what's your business? And I said, well, I'm a teacher, and they invited me to give some classes in a local school, you know, recruiting, whatever, and I'm here on business. And the guy looks at me and says, well, do you have a work visa? I look at him like, oh, I'm Jewish. We don't, I don't know what you're talking about, right? They took me into a side office, and they grilled me for like three hours. And they wanted to know why I was here and, and where was I working and how much was I being paid. And I said, well, I'm the friar of the year because I'm not getting paid. I'm just coming to teach Torah, right? And they couldn't believe me. They didn't believe that I would go somewhere to teach Torah and not be paid. I couldn't understand that. And I had to get to the shul and get them to call. It was a whole complicated thing. Now, when I go into the, can- to the Canadian border, I just say I'm here on pleasure, which is true. Teaching Torah is a pleasure. What's a big deal? Right? Okay. But if you're from Canada and you come to America, bastion of democracy... And you want to become a citizen. They don't just let you become a citizen. You've got to follow their laws. And it's a process. It takes you months, years to become a citizen. And what happens if you're a citizen and you don't follow the laws? They do one of two things, depending on which laws you broke or what they think. They either throw you in jail or they throw you out of the country. Very simple. I've never understood why this is so complicated. If you want to live in the land of Israel, follow Israeli law. If you don't follow Israeli law, goodbye. Very simple. Not so complicated. Why don't we do that? Because what will the nations of the world say? And will we be taken to the court of Echvesnisht or the court of public opinion or whatever it is? Now, I know I'm oversimplifying a complex issue, but it's not so complicated. Now, there are two million people in Gaza. And those two million people, and I'm... I'm, I'm it would be absurd to imagine that there are not righteous people in Gaza. 
That would be absurd. It would also be absurd to imagine that there are two million innocent civilians. That would be equally absurd. The difference between those two extremes is not our business, in my opinion. Right? But we could debate that. And by the way, this has nothing to do with fault. Because to be perfectly fair, if you lived in Aza, and you grew up in a Hamas-run dictatorship, and you were in their schools in the age of three, and you were going to the Mili Jihadi training camps and emulating suicide bombers and everything else, you could end up being a Hamas terrorist. So this goes back to whether you're responsible. Some of us remember that we studied this in the Rambam. The Rambam says, at least according to the way I understand the Rambam, it doesn't matter whether you were born with this negative character trait, or you inherited this negative character trait, or you had a proclivity for it, or you were genetically inclined to it, or you learned it from those around you, or you just thought it was a good idea. If something's wrong, it's wrong. Because Baruch can decide how wrong you are. We can only judge behavior. You can't take a person to Bezdin for being over the issue of the rise of hating. Because hatred is not an action, and a court cannot judge something that doesn't have an empirical action to judge. But evil, you can judge. Not so complicated. So, what would be the best result? Interesting question. What would happen if, by the way, the Egyptian president, Sisi, a number of years ago, made an incredible offer. Incredible offer. He said... I'm willing to create a state of Palestine in the northern Sinai. We'll create a city, we'll start as a model, we'll bring 100,000 Arabs from, from Aza, and we'll build them a city. And all you have to do is fund it. And two things happened. The first was, he got so shouted down in Egypt that he dropped the idea. And the second was, nobody wanted to fund it. Well, once someone says like, like, something like that to me, that sounds like, it's just a question of what the price is. Like, that'd be the ideal solution. Let's create a state of Palestine in the northern Sinai. I don't think the northern Sinai is part of Eretz Israel, so I have no issue with that. And I would much prefer that a Palestinian state, if you want to call Palestinians Palestinians, was a canton of Egypt, because I think Egypt knows how to deal with these things better than we do. And that'd be it. And a million of them would be led into Egypt, and they'd have a state of Palestine, and very quickly you'd see that they're living a much better life, because how would Sisi agree to do this? We have to bribe them. You'd have to figure out what does he really want, how much money would it take, and then double it, triple it. Just give him billions and billions of dollars. He'll rehabilitate his economy, be the hero of the Middle East. He'll solve the Palestinian problem. Why can't you do that? Well, that's politics. That's for the Q&A. I can tell exactly why that's not going to happen. But that's what should happen. Right? And what's our biggest question? What will the nations of the world... I'll give you a better example. Hamas is... We have said that we're, originally we said we're not going to let anything into Egypt. Let the pressure cooker boil until eventually people revolt against Egypt or not. Or they're forced to go into Egypt. Okay. And they revolt against Hamas. But pressure brought to bear and Israel said, okay, we're going to let in medical supplies, food, and water. And that's a debatable topic. I, I hear both sides of the coin. I can understand why you would do that and I can understand why you wouldn't do that. I'm not weighing in on that. I think it's a little, uh, what's the word, uh, arrogant to sit here in our ivory tower and Judge what should be done. But Israel did say we're not going to allow fuel in. Now the reason they're not letting fuel in is because fuel fuels their war. They need fuel to run the electricity in their tunnels. They need fewer fuel to, to, to man their vehicles and so on and so forth. And there's a lot of pressure being brought to bear in Israel to, to, to give them fuel. Because if you don't have fuel, then the, the first thing that goes is the electricity. And the second thing that goes is the water. You can't filter water and run it through the systems without fuel. 
and you need fuel to run the hospitals. And they just proved, they in, in intercepted a communication from a senior Hamas commander to one of his lieutenants, ordering him to go to one of the local hospitals and take their fuel supply. They could care less about the civilians that are there, but they're stealing fuel from the hospitals. So Israel basically says, you see, why should we give them fuel? Now, why would we end up giving them fuel? Because there's so much pressure brought to bear by the humanitarian world, which is an interesting topic for discussion, right? So how much do we pay, pay attention to the world? That becomes the question. And I would end by saying it's so interesting to me that this is the beginning of the journey of Judaism. It's, it's, it's the story of Avram, the first Jew, who is confronted with this question. Do I pay attention to what the nations of the world say? Now, by the way, the Vilna Gaon, in the Kol Eliyahu and the Parsha, has a different take on this. The Vilna Gaon says that the goal of Avram Avinu is not Avram Avinu. Avram is not doing what he's doing so that he can have a relationship with Hashem. Avram's mission is to bring the world back to Hashem. And what Avram is saying is, if I find that Aner and Eshkol and Mamre think it's ridiculous to do a circumcision, then my whole mission to bring the world back to God will be forfeit. And he says, if the only way that I can bring the world back to Hashem is to give up the schar that I would get for following the mitzvah of Hashem, then I'm willing to sacrifice my relationship with Hashem to bring the world back to Hashem. That's Avram. That's Chesed. So, on the other hand, to ignore completely what the world says is also not necessarily the right thing to do. So how do you balance? So I want to finish with this thought. This is not a complicated idea. The world has to get back and it has to start with us. And when I say us, I mean the Jewish people. And maybe before the whole Jewish people, at least the nation of Israel. And before the nation of Israel, maybe just the community that gets it. And maybe at least just Yeshiva to write that. Maybe just me. To decide that what right is right and what wrong is wrong. And to be careful to stop accommodating and compromising with evil simply because it's an easier path. It's not complicated. People who murder people, they shouldn't be alive. And they shouldn't, should, certainly shouldn't be our neighbors. And if a society can't thrive on good and insists on thriving on evil at a certain place, you gotta go to war. That's exactly what Avram did. Avram was an ish chesed, but he understood when Lot was taken captive, this is not a battle about Lot. This is a battle between Nimrod and Avram. And sometimes you have to be willing to go to war. And I would argue it's not just about Aza and the world wars. It's, it's about our own battles. Do we do battle with the things that we know to be wrong? Or do we compromise with them? Do we recognize that there are certain lines that we should not cross? So there's a lot more to talk about, but I'm going to stop here. Uh, Everybody should have an awesome Shabbos.